Welcome to South London Hardcore. I'm Jack McInroy. My co-host is Steve Walsh. Hello. On the show this week, we'll be talking about a selected history of radio in South London. We visited the British Vintage Wireless and Television Museum and we'll also be talking about various South London radio stations from across the years, from across the dial. Our sponsors this week are the Brixton Pound, a hyper-local currency that ensures that money spent in Brixton stays in Brixton. They've just launched the Brixton Bonus, which is a monthly draw where you can win a 1,000 Brixton Pounds with the rest of the money being put back into the local community. It's £1 to enter. You can buy up to 10 tickets. And the first draw is at the Lambeth Country Show on the 19th of July in Brockwell Park. We've bought some tickets, haven't we, Steve? We went for the full raft, didn't we? You can, buy, yeah, you can buy a maximum of 10 tickets each. We maxed out. We've bought 10 tickets. You can win a thousand Brixton pounds, as I said, and you can spend Brixton pounds on, you know, in restaurants, on clothes, shopping. You can buy a bicycle. So, like, I'm already... two bicycles if you like. Don't need a really switch bicycle, no? Yeah, I mean, if we win, actually, should... two switch bicycles. Should we right? get a tandem? <laughs> Plenty of runner-up prizes as well. You can win massages. Five people can win twenty Brixton pounds. There's a fifty pounds voucher for seven at Brixton up for grabs. Well, I'm just hoping we don't win 10 separate prizes. I mean, it could look terrible, couldn't it? Oh. I mean, we'll have a great time, but it will look terrible. So if you visit brixtonpound.org for more information on the draw and to enter, or you can visit a local Brixton Pound vendor, get your tickets for £1. Before we proceed with the show, we've got some uh, major news. South London Hardcore is going on hiatus with immediate effect. This is our 162nd episode, and it'll be our last for some time. Will Saffron and Hardcore ever come back as a weekly or fortnightly podcast? I don't know. Doubtful, Steve. <laughs> but let's get on with let's get on with our last show, Steve. For now, for now. <laughs> but maybe forever. <laughs> Over the course of doing the show. I've been collecting radio since I was seven years old. I said, give him another Valium tablet. I just said, well, why not? Lord Montague's done it with cars. Why can't it be done with radios? Radio has been the most important thing in my life. I was a voice crying in the wilderness. Now people tread a path to my door. We're constantly surprising ourselves and surprising others. You know, you tell people that Roddy McDowell is from South London or the fact that the Cinema Museum is at the Elephant Castle. Stanley Kubrick archive, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's in their Stanley Kubrick stuff lives at the Elephant Castle. You tell people that, like, you're mad. I've been there, mate. I touched the manuscript from The Shining. This week we visited another hidden gem, didn't we? The British Vintage Wireless and Television Museum uh, on Rosendale Road in Dulwich, which is, uh, from the outside, an unassuming attached house, isn't it? But inside it's, you know, packed with... Uh... Radios floor to ceiling, isn't it? They've just put in new shelving units to maximise the use of space. 
and every room is pretty much overwhelming in terms of the, the range of vintage radios on display. The history of the museum is the story of one man, really, Jerry Wells. The museum grew out of his personal collection, his personal obsession with radio, self-confessed as well. We've watched a, a film about his life that he starred in, who makes it very clear that he had a compulsion to collect radio and electrical equipment from like such a young age. There's a, a great bit in the film where he talks about being two years old and sleeping with a two-pin plug under his pillow. And when he loses it, he dreams about it floating in front of him, but never being able to take, uh, re- regain it. So he was born in the house, I think, or certainly it's the only house he ever lived in, and filled it up with radios. And he died last year, and so they've done sort of they've made a few changes here and there, and there were sort of changes ahead for the museum. But you know, he was his his bedroom was like part of the museum. You know, people were wondering his bed was there, just surrounded by a load of radios from the forties. Well, this is it. The most recent changes have been to t- basically take out any sort of household items that aren't radios. So where his bed was, and where any sort of functional things, I guess, like wardrobes and chests of drawers containing clothes, they just like filled up with shelf space and then taken loads of the radios that they had in storage and put them out on display so it is you know really doing justice to the collection now technically we were a bit lost weren't we i mean it's a a a wonderful tour like they're not you know scrimping on anything they're prepared to they're telling us if there's a radio that appeals to you take it down and we'll talk about it but we were like we don't know you know (laughs) they all look nice don't they i'm sure there's a story for all of them and early on, they were like trying to share very specific technical information on valves. And the guy was like, I'm not too sure what your level of expertise yeah. is. And we are like, there's no level of expertise. We have no idea. So there was a sort of, what are you doing here? Yeah, sort of they did. Moment, they they were it? like, what's your interest in radio? And we're like, we just like museums in South London, if it happens to be. But, you know, we'll do an episode on radio. So it was legitimate. But... I think the majority of visitors you know, have a very specific interest, particularly in the technical aspects of radios, which we yeah, don't have. Right. So we were, you know, but there's still a huge visual appeal. We talked about it with them as well, wasn't it? Like the design of the actual casing and whatnot. They look tremendous, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Like in that first room you go in where you've got like a row of Bakelite or Deco. Uh, I mean, it's all that kind of, per- it's almost all personal radios, isn't it? Like yeah, home, yeah. Home radios. Did you have any particular favourite pieces? I was a big fan of one radio just because on the dial it just had a big gap. It had all these like preset things where it'd be like Luxembourg, Monaco, uh, Rome, Bucharest, but a big chunk of it just amateur. Like mm. they'd set aside a load of bandwidth and just sort of. I like the idea of them sort of saying to people, "This is where you can play." Yeah, the rest right. we need the rest of it. Hmm. Don't be cutting across Paris because they got stuff to tell us. But this is your little bit to play with. So yeah, there were little and it's lots of little details and bits and pieces that would never have occurred to me in terms of like the whole thing about the magic eye. They were showing this, this feature in radios where it would I guess it was a thing that was sort of like telling you that you had your optimum tuning thing and it would sort of light up accordingly. Yeah, right. Never never seen the like of no, it. No, me neither. The radio that he put on, which was a pre-war, you know, it was on legs, you know, in a yeah, wooden yeah. cabinet on legs with kind of this kind of mechanical auto-tuning. Uh, yeah, like a motorised really well. dial, yeah. didn't it? But yeah, that moment when they switched it on. Yeah, he switches the radio on 
and it sounds like the world service from like 1940 it's a very sort of plummy voice Mm. and a lot of classical music sort of over the yeah, back isn't it? yeah and I was like oh right yeah this is what these radios would sound like isn't it from the 40s and I was like well done no that's not <laughs> it's not a time travel device is it it's, no. it's picking up radio waves that are being broadcast now so this guy's sort of talking with this music playing and then he goes uh, net, uh, coming up Sandy Toxwig with a penultimate news quiz and I was like yeah. oh right this is 2015 isn't it it's just yeah, that's what Radio same, 4 sounds like yeah that's exactly that same feeling I had it was just like like yeah, it was like it was like turning like a uh, like a record player from the time yeah. and it playing a record from the time. Transportative, wasn't it? It just took a moment where it just like really jarred and felt like it had done something magical. Yeah, it's good it didn't like immediately go into Capital Gold. Didn't it? <laughs> the Nazi radio was also uh, memorable, wasn't it? Yeah, many storied pieces in there, but that's that's up there. I mean, just as a feature, the doors open and you've got. Uh, Nazi insignia yeah, on yeah. the doors, botched as a piece. Yeah, I mean the two guys taking us round were uh, radio enthusiasts, obviously, and uh, just outraged that someone had gone in the back of this Nazi radio and just sort of uh, completely botched wrecked it. It. Botched yeah. it. it was quite what I found quite uh, encouraging was, you know, we we, we tried to visit the museum last year and Jerry, the guy who was. Uh, who ran it was very ill and you know so we, we couldn't quite go and you kind of can see these things once someone kind of goes it all just falls to pieces they sell the flat and the stuff gets stuck in a warehouse or distributed to various museums but you know there were two people that took us around that were both very enthusiastic and knowledgeable and there were two other people knocking about in the place as well Three, maybe even. Yeah, three other people at different times. And I mean, you have to make an appointment to uh, t- to have a tour. But I phoned up and said, "Can we come at five o'clock on Friday?" And I expected the answer to be no. It was like, "Yeah, it's fine." So like, it's kind of it, the fact that it's still going strong. I found very encouraging. It does seem that people have, have stepped in to the breach where Jerry's gone, and has. has it, it means in terms of the, the space and storage of the place, they, they, they seem determined to sort of honour him with the work they're going to carry on doing. On our way out, we picked up Valve Man uh, DVD they've got for sale. £10. Uh, about, about, you know, it's a documentary about Jerry, but it's not your bog standard, you know, it's not talking heads. Well, we looked at the cover, didn't we? And we were like, it looks like some sort of Eastern European art movie. We were sort of going, oh, a weird cover design choice for this film. It's just a weird documentary about a man who plays the radios. And then you watch it and you go, that cover is exactly right. Because, it, as you say, it's such a stylized, design-heavy, thoughtful take on mm. the whole story, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, shots and cuts are composed, you know, it kind of, it is at the beginning of that, it was radio dial fades into a globe with like different languages spinning around it and stuff and it's really kind of artfully done isn't it yeah it looks beautiful production values as well like mm. they they do a sort of period take on his childhood and you've got vintage cars you can tell that the clothes they're wearing have been sourced uh, meticulously and as I say in terms of direction production design it's flawless I would, I would say yeah yeah it's great isn't it just not what you expect. You know, when you buy a DVD about the founder 
of a, an obscure specialist museum, you're like, brace yourselves. <laughs> this is going to be mad. And you just imagine it being, you know, Super 8 footage and just like home videos, essentially, just like scrapped together, probably with a choppy voiceover and just a bit of a mess. And you sort of brace yourself. And I was watching it hypnotised. Couldn't believe. And, you know, a genuinely fascinating story, I think. I must have been about two or three years old when I had my favourite two-pin plug. I lost this plug. I longed for it. I hunted for it. And I couldn't find it. I would dream that that plug was hovering off the ground just in front of a tree. I'd go for it and it would disappear. Rather like a crock of gold you get at the foot of a rainbow. I still get that dream to this day. If you'd like to visit the museum, go to their website, bvwm.org.uk. You need to make an appointment by telephone. Uh, their number is 020-8670-3667. Right, so let's get the radio on, Steve. 90.2 FM Skyline. Doing the research for this, we came across a variety of stations, some established, some less so. The ones that really intrigued me were, it seemed to be this sort of period around the mid-80s, the, the sort of peak of, of pirate radio, where, as far as I'm concerned, I did a very cursory look at the history, and it seems to be a, a series of sets of legislation that changed slightly and people trying to find loopholes. And there was legislation that allowed the seizure of equipment, and that was a huge thing, because obviously the equipment's really dear for you to be broadcasting radio in the 80s, like you've got transmitters and, you know, yeah, yeah. Such, yeah, such you get raided. Huge amounts. Yeah. You get raided. Yeah, you get raided. Um, but apparently there was this like slight moment where people realised the legislation meant that the court had to send a letter before the raid. So they couldn't just turn up. They had to sort of write to you and go, guys, probably going to raid you. So it gave people a chance to sort of, you know, the idea was that it give you a chance to stop, but what people would do yeah. would just sort of go, we're going to go to the flat on the other side of the tower block because they've, they're on to us at this address. So... There seemed to be this sort of like brief moment where lots of stations popped up for a very short time. The movement pretty quickly gets crushed with new wave of, of legislation. But it seemed like a lot of tiny little stations popped up across South London that had a little moment in the sun and usually end up with a massive seizure of expensive equipment. Skyline FM is based around Knights Hill in West Norwood and Church Road in Crystal Palace. They had two transmitters. They were broadcasting on AM and FM, which for a... Well, that's pretty big time. Yeah, for a, a pirate organisation. And it's interesting as well, you know, the obvious thing about South London is the Crystal Palace transmitter towers. And there seemed to be a lot of little operations that were dotted around there. There's a photograph online of the Church Road transmitter and it's basically just like stuck outside someone's window right great it was a community uh, station so had a lot of like local information a lot of focus on music it was also at a place where caesar the geezer made his debut i don't know if you ever heard of the guy uh, yeah he's a bit of a ha- london yeah radio my friend Tavo used to uh used to listen to him and uh, right. yeah it was a big fan yeah he went on to do uh to work on uh LBC, I think it was. Right. But uh, Skyline was where he, he first started. So it's a legacy piece, the whole thing. Only operated from uh, 83 to 85. 
Starpoint FM, 89.9, based in Crystal Palace. It was a music station, but just an unparalleled mix at the time. A lot of the pirate stations specialised in one particular kind of music. A lot of it was sort of uh, soul and R&B. Later on you get sort of house and hardcore stations. This lot, they tried a seven-day-a-week schedule and included rock and roll, 60s R&B, salsa, reggae, gospel, jazz, hip-hop and chart, which is just everything else, isn't it? Just Mm. like incredible array of music. It survived. It was on on, uh, analogue radio from 85 to 90, but is now back as a digital station. Great. This is the changing landscape, isn't it, I suppose? Very much so. You know, I've always thought the kind of pirate radio laws were quite harsh. Yeah. You know, like season yeah. equipment because someone's putting out a broadcast. It's yeah. outrageous, isn't it? But, uh, I mean, now it's just, there's infinity now and now on the internet. Horizon Radio, 94.04. Operated out of Bellenden Road in Peckham. It was a soul station. And in 1984, they were raided and had £20,000 worth of equipment seized. You could buy a house in 1984 for 20 grand, couldn't you? I mean, just... Solar FM, which is on 94 FM, sort of came out of the ashes of that. But, I mean, how do you bounce back from a 20 grand loss? I mean, incredible dedication to be able to get together that Mm. amount of money. You know, we do podcasting and it costs a bit in terms of gear, but nothing close let alone the fact that the idea that you know someone could come along at any moment and take our mic, you have to get another one. Just to, <laughs> I mean, just the, the the bother of having to go and get another one, let alone the cost. Fame FM, ninety five, FM on the dial. I played at Streatham, a Soul Station again. They only had one and a half grand's worth of equipment seized. It's an interesting station. It was run by a local play leader, and the reason. The seizure order came in was because his signal was jamming the gas board emergency signal for radios. That's why then I'm standing defending pirate radio. I didn't know yeah. people were getting, uh, you know, boilers were blowing up. <laughs> I mean, if you can hear my daughter Xavier snoring in the background, I have to apologise, but this is uh, pirate radio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> Britain's first 24-hour black music radio station with a licence. Started in uh, Trinity Gardens in Brixton. Founded by Patrick Berry. Move up to Borough High Street. And then eventually, fate of a lot of these stations, they get bought out by a larger conglomerate. Moved over to Leicester Square. Yeah, and it was renamed Capital Extra recently. <laughs> no E, obviously, on Extra. <laughs> but there was a lot of like outrage about this. Like People were sort of t- talking about you know, black history and culture being just sort of swallowed up by the corporations and renamed. What you'd hear now, uh, you know, Beyonce, Iggy Azalea, you know, it's a far cry from Asher D and uh, Dizzy Ross going from a rap battle, wasn't it? And then Mega Man coming in to talk about uh, vocabulary. 
Yeah, I mean, I was going to compare it to, uh, you know, the plot of Alpha Papa. Similar thing, isn't it? You know, the uh, corporation comes in and wants to take all the character out of it. Interesting listening to that battle. It's from 2002, and it's essentially... 2000 and slew. <laughs> it's, it's sort of set up as, as Asher D versus Dizzy Rascal, but it becomes sort of Roll Deep versus So Solid. And it's a, a particularly pertinent time where... Like, Dizzy Rascal's only had one record out. Like, I Love You, he's only had one single out. So people are still not really sure about this guy, like, if he's going to be good. Wiley's there, and he's, like, probably the most significant person in grime at the time. And So Solid just drops an album that's much more hip-hop than grime, and, you know, they're facing a lot of criticism for, you know, being seen as turning American. And comments have been made in some interview, so, you know, they're going to have a little bit of a, a tussle to sort out. I mean... It's a 45-minute clip that we found online. Mm. 25 minutes is arguing about whether it should be a cappella or what instrumental beat should be in the background. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just incoherent. The poor DJ's there trying to... Look, guys, come on. We're here for... It's about the music. It's about the music. Uh, and they go... Sort of, commander. Yeah, yeah. Flight commander, I think, is how the... It's, 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 you know, incredible stuff. The consensus at the time seemed to be that Asher D won the battle. Like, people are, like, coming on. They do a phone-in afterwards to, like, vote. And uh, people are coming on going, yeah, no, Asher D, like, slaughtered him. It was ridiculous. <coughs> but what they fail to do, and I think this is very important, is find out where people are from. Because you get a lot of people who, like, phone up going, I'm from, yeah. I'm from Campbell, Asher D won that. <laughs> and you're like, that's not legitimate, <laughs> is it? Yeah, uh, it's, it, all, it's all that, isn't it? Yeah. People are voting, and in the end, they kind of sort of say Dizzy Rascal, they say it was equal, but Dizzy it Rascal sort of, yeah. But it's just like, yeah, I'm from Peckham, I think Asher D won that. Yeah. It's just... Uh, and people are going, uh, uh, EA, EA, it was, it was Dizzy, it was Dizzy. And you're like, <laughs> we can see where the divide is here. And yeah. I think, actually, you've got one person who was sort of going, uh, yeah, I'm from Campbell, uh, Love, love Asher D, love So Solid, but Dizzy did win that. And it was nice to sort of hear, you know, uh, people giving an honest opinion rather than just going postcode and that, you know, it's the, the worst way to do it. Fascinating as well as a sort of slice of musical history. There's a bit where um, Dizzy goes in on Asher and you sort of listen to going, oh, this is Fix Up, Look Sharp. Yeah, like the whole thing, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but obviously, this is the year before the album comes out. So either... You can, put, you can pretend that's a freestyle, can't you? But, but this is the thing. Either, it, probably not a freestyle, but whether he wrote it specifically as a diss track against Asher D, and then he just likes it so much, he just softens it a little to put it on the album. Yeah, right, right. But I mean, he was definitely, he was bringing out a wholesale. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. It's like there's very little variation. But in the phone and afterwards, uh, one of the guys goes, Asher won that, but he was prepared. He was prepared. And I was like, Dizzy Rascal got album tracks yeah. ready to go. Boy in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and it's interesting as well, I think, because, as I say, it seems like quite even possibly people leaning towards Asher D, but history tells a different story. Oh, it? big time. You know? I mean, it's like saying... You know, who, who's better at Lee Sharp and Ryan Giggs? Dizzy Rascal is... I mean, I would have thought, commercially, by far the most successful British rapper of all time. That would be my yeah, guess. I would say that's a, a fair guess. And Asher D has sort of never been seen. seen. Well, no, no, let doing, me rephrase that. Yeah. yeah, he's had a successful acting career. And he was very good in Bullet Boy. Yeah, yeah. And he played a young 50 Cent, I think. Or maybe he didn't, I haven't seen it, in, uh, in the 50 Cent film, Get Rich or Die Trying. But in terms of uh, rapping, like... 
he didn't have a solo hit, did he? And well, it's also so, a thing of, uh, as I say, this particular recording catches this young kid, as you ask, who's had one single and is about to do an album. Wonder if that album's going to be any good. It is. And so solid going, yeah, we're going to go for a slightly different sound. And it just sinks them. They don't really bounce back from that at all. Well, so solid crew, the, the one album that anyone's ever heard, it, it was already out, wasn't it? At yeah, that point. yeah. So they, I mean, they're, they're, they're part, you know, they're, they've had their number one hit. And like, yeah, like you say, like, it's two, two uh, fortunes are going in opposite directions, aren't they? For me, I don't know whether it is sort of with hindsight listening to it and going, oh, let's fix up, look sharp, I really like that. Even though, obviously, uh, I'm from South, I did think Dizzy won it. But, as you say... I just don't think... I think if you're just going to go up there and do do lyrics that you prepared, like... I don't think it's... I'm not into it as a comedy. It's like a penalty shootout, Steve, isn't it? It's just no way to settle the... (laughs) But the highlight of... uh, the whole thing is Mega Man, who's outraged. He's, I don't think he's even really part of it. There's a bit where Wiley's uh, rapping and like uses repetition in quite a clumsy way, to be fair. I mean, it's a pretty standard thing to do in freestyles because you're just buying yourself time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Mega Man just comes and he goes, <laughs> hello, 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 just cuts across him. <laughs> uh, and Wiley's like, what, what? And he's like, you got no vocabulary. No vocabulary. <laughs> you did like a paragraph of what the what's there. <laughs> it's great. And like, they try and then turn it. Like, you can see uh, Flight Commander seeing an opportunity. He's like, are we going to get Wiley and Mega Man going now? <laughs> and Mega Man's like, I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 100FM. Back legally. The original sound of Young London. Hear the croak in the voice. Kiss FM, 100 and dial. Oh, that's the prime slot, isn't it? That's the one, isn't it? You know, in terms of your branding. Hot 100. You've got logos that are just going to pop so well. Do you know, you know what I've just remembered, Steve, as, as you've said that? I used to have a, a sticker on my window... Everyone kid when I was like 12 Everyone with Kiss FM yeah. sticker. Yeah, they're everywhere, aren't they? Listen to it, though. <laughs> <laughs> I just like stickers. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, you know, just to veer into typography slightly, if you can avoid a, a decimal point in your logo mm-hmm. and then do, if you can get a round number, go for that. If you can get 100, sorts a lot you're of laughing, problems out, doesn't it? Laughing. First broadcast from North London, full disclosure. That's so right, that's s- right. something that, you know, we'll put... Uh, an asterisk next to it just to ruin their logo but um, mm. the guy who founds it or one of the founders I should say Gordon McNamee starts his DJ career age 13 at a church hall in Camberwell what one St Giles I don't know yeah that's what the first one I, I thought of but I just like the idea of this kid yeah. just like you know probably standing on the box behind the decks isn't it? and the name Kiss FM comes from uh, a club night in Peckham at Kiss's nightclub so what else is that? I've long gone now. But, um, yeah, right. Such a nightclub name, innit? Oh, and, like, that time, innit? When you were going it? Ezekiel's, didn't you, I suppose? Yeah, later. Ezekiel's. <laughs> so, yeah, definite uh, South London origins to Kiss. And always seen, I think, as a South London station, despite its uh, foray north of the river. Is Kiss the one that people listen to now still? I guess. Is that I can't that's think of anything. Is that the one that's on in the car when we're, when we're driving places? I like yeah. the fact you're asking me what's on your wife's car. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just, 
like the latest the latest hits come on. Yeah, I would imagine. Well, and it'll I be tune that out one. as much as I can. Hey, how you doing? Daniel Ruiz Tyson is available for Monday the 27th of October 2014 with me Daniel Ruiz Tyson coming to you live at 10 o'clock on Resonance 104.4 FM a little under the weather this week I should tell you do expect some sneezing anyway how are you South London hope you're all well hope your hands are clean I mean who are you if you don't clean your hands another station that started life the other side of the river well no not quite actually I believe the London Musicians Collective has put together this four-week programme of radio arts as part of the 1998 Meltdown Festival at the South Bank Centre, oh, right. which was curated by John Pill. And uh, the station like started there. It was a month-long restricted service thing on 107.3 FM. Quite a common thing, isn't it, to have sort of like festival-specific radio stations for a short amount of time. Right, and it went over the river for um, nine years, and then since 2007, it's been at uh, 144 Borough High Street. I mean, you and I have been in that studio, Steve, haven't we? we these are the first airwaves that we've talked about that we've actually appeared on. Well, well, well. Maybe we'll save our own radio histories for later in the show. Cause <laughs> got... Did you ring up and vote for uh, Asher D on that? Uh, <laughs> no, I was uh, doing it now, isn't it? I was uh, interviewed outside of Supergrass. I went to Supergrass at um, the Electric Ballroom in Camden. And the guy interviewed me. It might have been Eddie Temple Morris. Right, right, right. And I was on radio. I was like... I interviewed my mate Tabo as well, who's uh, getting a second mention of the evening. And uh, Tabo's like, oh, are you going to use my clip? And he's like, probably not, to be honest. Because <laughs> like, he kept angling to be interviewed. And like, when, it, when he turned the mic on, he was just like, yeah, it was... Uh, it's a good show. It was a really terrible interview. And I was like, you're going to use my clip? And he's like, definitely. <laughs> and uh, so I rec- I've recorded it, right? I didn't have a cassette recorder at the time, but I had my radio plugged into my video player. So I've got... On... Who, did, who didn't? <laughs> so I've got a video. It's I've what got... I call you Valve, man. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I can't uh... wait to make a video of your life. I, don't, I won't do it as stylish as them, but I'll, I'll do my best. I'll do my best. VHS boy. Cassette boy. <laughs> But yes, yeah, so I've got. Oh, I wonder if I could find it. I probably let's assume I can't find it. And so I've you not had your radio in. plugged into your video, and I recorded me going. Oh yes, yeah, Supergrass, it's brilliant. So you've got a VHS recording of you off the radio. Yeah, it's just like a black screen with me off Radio One. But I'm going. Oh, Supergrass is great. The new stuff is brilliant. Yeah, I'm covered in sweat and I'm loving it. Like it's it's horrendous. It's horrendously <laughs> embarrassing. What was I probably seventeen? Twenty-seven. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Ruiz Tyson is available. Christmas special. 2014, you and me, Steve. We were there. Seats at the mic, do you know what I mean? There's a lot of people <laughs> in that room eat, eating mince pies and uh, using a hand job. <laughs> you were like rough on the mic, man. It's still, uh, it still has a community remit, doesn't it? it they, they describe themselves as an art station. Right. So it's very broad. It is broad. I mean, of... you've got some great stuff on there, you know, as... The bike show I've, I used to listen to now and then, even I don't cycle, but it, it was great stuff. Little Atoms is like one of the best radio shows, podcasts around in it. You know, you've got like John Ronson and Adam Curtis and, you know, Lynn Barber, people just dropping in. John, uh, our pal John Grindrod was uh, on a great episode. Calling all pensioners. Calling all pensioners. <laughs> yeah, that's extraordinary. Our friend Glenn, who composed the theme tune, uh, told me about it. Probably when I first ever heard of uh, Resonance FM. And 
Yeah, it's uh, the Deptford uh, Pensioners Action Group. That's not what they're called, but it's close. And it's like some old geezer. And like, you know, they've got like a, a, someone, a producer, someone who's obviously editing it and stuff. They play like, they play like some old timey music. Then they'll tell you what's on the show and give you some helpline numbers. And then it was just like the one I listened to. It was just like an unedited talk that this woman from Age Concern, or Age UK, sorry, was doing with these this group of pensioners. Oh, but um, what about if we stuck it? Like, people just interrupted. <laughs> so, like, it's quite it's quite interesting that you've still got that playing alongside, like, you know, The Wire magazine, their <laughs> their uh, music show. And, like, one of, their sh- one of their new shows, I think, has a million downloads a month, you know. Right. I went to uh, an online radio symposium earlier in the year, and the founder of Resonance was there, and he was talking about how wide they try and keep, you know, what they're broadcasting, you know, they'll listen to any idea. And uh, there was one bit where this guy was going to kayak around the world or something. And he was, like, saying... He, like, posited it to the the creative board at Resonance. He was like, yeah, I think we should just, like, uh, basically, for as long as it takes him, just fit him up with radio equipment and broadcast nothing but this guy kayaking around the world for as long as it takes. Well, like 24-7? Yeah. Or, like, clear the schedules and just have Resonance FM be this guy kayaking around the world for as long as it takes him to kayak around the world. And they all sort of went, uh, probably not going to do that. And he goes, uh, yeah. So the guy starts off and he stops, like, 12 hours in. So we really could have done it quite (laughs) easily. (laughs) Transmitter on Guy's Hospital Roof. 107.3 107.3 FM is a busy frequency. Get, uh, you need a sensitive dial, Steve, don't you? To quote uh, our pals at the Radio Museum. South London Radio uh, ran from 1990 to 2009. Got a yellow card, Steve, following a listener complaint that they'd uh, breached the music policy of playing a significantly higher percentage of current chart hits than its 33% limit. Tedious, isn't it? Tedious. <laughs> But the interesting Imagine being the person who made that complaint. But what comes out of it is quite interesting, where on, upon further investigation, they realise that the majority of their output is automated. That's why it was like playing the wrong stuff, because they basically just say it wrong, just like put in that now 42 and just <laughs> let it run on a, or, or a reverse. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so they confronted them and they said, yeah, we have largely automated the system. And they were like, well, you need to automate it down to 33%. Or... And they uh, apparently it, it sort of like uh, convinced them to get more uh, actual people involved in broadcasting. So it's a positive yellow card, if anything. But they got the red card in 09, didn't they? Yeah, it was a positive yellow card to the red card. <laughs> and free uh, much ban. How far can we take this metaphor? It's now home to represent running out of Peckham. A guy from Represent also turned up at the online radio symposium. And it just did he, sounds did like. Did he bring a, the noise? He, he brought it all. He brought it all. It just sounds like such a brilliant setup. It does, yeah. The whole idea of it is basically to offer young people, particularly young people that have a checkered past or, you know, uh, significant personal issues, the opportunity to get involved with radio in whatever way they see fit. And the guy was quite open about it. He was like, yeah, like people turn up on the first day and we just put them in the studio on the air. And. Sometimes it goes terribly wrong hmm. and they learn from it and they become better or they just don't want to do it anymore and they want to do something else. 
but you know we're quite happy to do it. We get people engineering on their first day, just put them on the uh, desk. We show them what to do, kind of, and there's someone there, but they don't really step in and they're saying drastically go. It just sounds so yeah. sort of you know. I mean that again. That started as a community radio station, didn't it? Or I should say, a short-term community thing um, with a specific license, license to focus on uh, gun and knife crime and yeah. uh, youth yeah. issues. And it's really, you know, put, they put their money where their mouth is, like you say, Absolutely. Steve. You know, like they, young people are offered uh, opportunities that you just wouldn't get other places. You know, people with learning disabilities, juvenile delinquents. It says, and there's a practical aspect as well because it's not just a case of. They've set up this, you know, recording studio like a little play centre for you to mess around in. They offer the chance for people to get uh, vocational qualifications. There's, you know, a, a really strong history of people going in there that have been excluded from conventional education and coming out of it as qualified radio engineers, which is a remarkable mm. thing to be able to claim to do. So it's, you know, opportunity in a very specific way of have a go on a radio station but if you want to get involved and you feel like dedicated to this we can kind of train you to get a job I went onto their website to listen to the radio and it said up next Jodeci uh, but it turned out that was the DJ's name <laughs> 107.6 Dream FM broadcast out of Battersea it was a, a, a jungle and hardcore station so, again, it's this very specific thing. You know, what would be a show, like maybe a, a segment on other stations? They're like, we'll probably just do Jungle for like yeah. 12 hours a day and then do like four hours of hardcore and then just chat for the rest of it. We listened to a clip of uh, a feature that they introduced called Beat the Raid, which is um, a brilliant concept. It's a great game show, isn't it? It's a really good game show. So, basically... Uh, you go on, you phone in, and they just start listing prizes. And you can stop at any point. And one guy just stops after winning a couple of tickets to a nightclub. He's like, that's fine. But you carry on. But if you carry on and the sirens go, you've been raided. And all your stuff goes. You lose all your prizes. You 50 pence, you've lost that. Your puffer jackets. <laughs> it does. It's, it's a real sort of snapshot of a particular is, time yeah. in it. And That's what I think of when I think of pirate radio. Absolutely, and the thing is, and this, there's no when I say this, there's no malice whatsoever. It sounds sort of shambolic, like yeah, people definitely. while the game has gone, other people are trying to ring up, and the DJ has to go. Can the person trying to ring up stop trying to ring up? Because <laughs> like, there's no way for them to block the sound of the phone ringing. But it's just like it's got such a charm to it, isn't it? It's just so sort mm. of uh, they, everyone's having a great time, yeah. isn't it? Let me drop a clip in. Danielle from, are you from Kingston? Danielle from Kingston. All right, Danielle? Yeah. Where about in Kingston do you live? Kingston-Ipton. Do you? Do you know Philby? Do you know Philby? My boyfriend does, yeah. Who's your boyfriend? Ricky. Ricky who? Oh, well, I'm not saying his last name. Ricky Sales? No. <laughs> Hang on, let me guess, let me guess. No, don't really tell me, tell me, I might know him. No, you won't know him. Why won't you tell his last name for? I only lived up here a couple months, you won't know him. Is it? I've got loads of mates, that's where Scandal FM used to come from, mate. Yeah. What do you mean, yeah, you know? No one's supposed to know that. Uh, hey? Do you know Wesley in that? Of course I know Wesley, man. Oh, yeah, we know them. Anyway, don't talk too much about me, because people will find out what we're really... Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> we won't get into it, will we, mate, eh? All right, then, Daniel in Kingston, mate, yeah? Yeah. Are you ready to play Beat the Ray game? Yeah. <laughs> Time to switch over to the uh, AM frequency, Steve. 
for Spectrum Radio Network, the only multi-ethnic foreign language station in the UK. Have you got anything on that? Just like uh, a list of languages that they broadcast in. <laughs> but it is fascinating. Go, go on their website. Their website. What languages are they broadcast in, Steve? Ghanaian, Cantonese. Ghanaian is not a language. Come on, Steve. Oh, no. Uh, oh, twee. That's it, yeah, yeah. Steve, while we're on the medium wave, roll that dial. Roll it down to 200. Radio Sovereign from 1983 to 1984. Out of Twickenham, playing the oldies. One, I think the only station I've ever heard that played the oldies. Fascinating to me just because of the name of the founder, a man called Crispian St. John. Wow. Who basically found himself with a load of radio gear. <laughs> so he rang his mate, uh, John Kenning, and said, I want to set up a radio station playing like uh, old, old time music. And he was like, fine, that's no problem. They broadcast out at Twickenham, but cleverly uh, on the announce for the station would declare, This is Radio Sovereign, Surbiton. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that is bright. Another case of uh, a prominent broadcaster getting a start. Paul McKenna was a, a wow. DJ for uh, Radio Sovereign, Surbiton. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was his, you know, grasp of mind play that convinced them that would be the way to go. Yeah, maybe just hypnotised them into giving him a job. I can, I can convince the authorities we're in Surbiton. How? Well, say, <laughs> Radio Sovereign, Surbiton, Fireball. You'll see, you could be some sort of magician. <laughs> Again, while we're on the medium wave, Steve, a couple of South London radio personalities. Talk Radio is uh, has never been South London based. Talk Sport is called now. In 98 and 99, I used to listen to Danny Baker, Deptford Zone, with Danny Kelly talking about football before it was talk sport and uh, enjoyed it very much yeah uh, Danny Baker on 606 kind of transformed what sports radio could be and like even now uh, his radio shows like I just follow him on Twitter and while he's broadcasting I'm at work so I never listen to his show but it's always fascinating to see basically he just sets up like a dozen topics to talk about and it will just be things like um, he'll just like list you know, 10 to 12 things, like, this is what I'm going to talk about today. And it'll be like, a time I enter the room, not through a door. <laughs> or, like, shopping lists gone wrong. And it's just these really odd, everyday things that he just puts a tiny little twist on. And it, it's enough for me to sort of read and imagine and sort of go, yeah, that would be good radio. He yeah. seems to be very good at radio. Have you ever appeared on Danny Baker's show, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> Am I a hostile witness? Am I the last one to answer? Uh, yes or no? We talked about the show before, innit? He told you you didn't live in London, innit? And yeah, the thing is, you I don't, don't dislike him for that, so that's nice. No, yeah. And no show about South London Radio, Steve, would be complete without mentioning Spike Milligan, would it? One of the most important figures in British comedy and that key work done on the radio. The Goon Show. I mean, he didn't do it by himself, obviously, you know, Peter Sellers, Harry Seacombe. But... You know, he's kind of the creator, isn't he? He's a driving force. So if you pop over to southlondonhardcore.com, have a look at our episode guide. Episode 140, he's inducted into the South London Hall of Fame. Location, location, on Radio Jackie. Jackie.
Interesting location we picked today. Gotta be honest, from the clues I gave, I didn't think anyone would get the right answer today. Back on the FM dial with Radio Jackie, you'd have to be in the borough of Merton, really, to be getting hold of that signal. I think that actually is Serbert and Steve, no joke. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Pirate origins, but they become so popular and so prominent that eventually they have a full-time staff. They're that registered... And they're operating out of a they're operating a shop in Morden selling merch. They're in the phone book. I mean, you know, you got people getting caught as and having equipment seized. You don't need to be Sherlock Holmes to find Radio Jackie, do you? It's such a bad name for a radio station, isn't it? Do you think it's starting in sixty nine then? Oh right, is it nicked off the magazine, Jackie? I'd imagine, yeah, yeah. I mean it's my mum's name, so I don't want to slag it off. <laughs> it's kinda of your name as well. <laughs> <laughs> kinda, of, kinda. Of. Jackie Boymaster. Sugar on a plaster. <laughs> You're listening to Southern <laughs> Hardcore, yeah. <laughs> Southern. <laughs> Peter Doherty, welcome to Enemy Radio. Thank you. Nice to be here. Enemy Radio, Steve. What kind of music do you reckon they played? <laughs> Indie, 24-7. No, they describe themselves as alternative music, innit? which is like the worst yeah, label for a genre. Exactly. All the other stuff, mate. All the other good stuff. Good music, yeah. Good music. But they were based in the uh, Blue Finn building, 110 Southwark Street. Um, started by the XFM uh, creator. Yeah, it's his thing. And they ran from like 2008 to 2013. So it's like they started too late to be interested in yeah. any way. It's like clearly only going to be a corporate creation. And it sort of ends where like the podcast is doing a better job than they're ever going to do. Isn't it? Do you know the first track they played, Steve? Was it something by... I do know, actually. It was Muse, wasn't it? Yeah, Knights of Sardonia, yeah. which I think is so wicked. I love it. I don't know it. Uh, I'm sure I would have heard it. Uh, raw height. I know it, I know it. <laughs> yeah, the video's got cowboys in. And like, no, but and like sort of aliens and stuff. Um... <laughs> well, I'm sold. The closest I got to listening to Pirate Radio was the Lenny Henry show in the 80s when he was Delbert Wilkins broadcasting as the Brixton Broadcasting Corporation. BBC. Yeah. Even, I really enjoyed the show, but it never, it's funny, like, I'd like, watch it and go, this is really enjoyable, I like the idea of this. But never, no point did I sort of think, oh, I should probably go and try and find a pirate radio station to listen to. It's a similar sort of energy that went into pirate radio that brought a lot of people into podcasting, I think, and it just like this ease of access. You know, radio traditionally would have been seen as a very mainstream occupation and the route to get into it, you know, you do university radio mm. college radio hospital radio build up yeah. like a tape you, you send a license off. yeah this is it. And you, or, or, or you send it off to you know some some of the very few commercial stations or the BBC and just hope that your tape gets picked out and there's a job for you suddenly in the 80s you've got people sort of going if we just put up a thing and just sort of like and you could play and it is it's a similar thing where suddenly you're getting Music that isn't getting played on the radio. Discussions that aren't happening on mainstream and commercial broadcasters. And I think it's a very similar thing with podcasting. Where, you know, 
when we started South London Hardcore, the idea of going anywhere and sort of saying we want to do uh, a radio show that's about half of one city. Mm. You know, be laughed at the, the bad room, half. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even the good half. It's not even the, the half that people like. It's the other one. But we had that freedom to do it. We could do whatever we wanted for the price of a microphone, you know, paying for some, some space online, editing software you can get for nothing. You know, it's just like uh, opened up broadcasting to anyone who wants to do it. And you've got, rather than having to worry about, you know, how far is your signal getting from mm. your, your broadcast equipment, you sort of go, uh, yeah, you know, we, we've got very crude statistical analysis on our website and, you know, have had emails from around the world, you know, emails from people in Australia thanking us for mentioning their uncle in a show. Just mm. ridiculous. Where is it on? Whenever you want. <laughs> what, what's the range of your podcast? Inf- infinite, infinite. You create your own space now, don't you? And just uh, in a way that you couldn't have in the past and it's wonderful. And, you know, this week, the President of the United States of America, Barack Obama, appeared on WTF, Mark Maron's podcast, which, yeah, Mark Maron was this kind of, had some success as a stand-up comedian and as a radio personality, but, you know, the President came to his garage to record a, a <laughs> podcast, which he started in his garage. We started Holdfast Network last year, and with South London Hawkeye going off the air, off the air, Steve. Look, we're still talking in radio terms, aren't we? <laughs> Check out the other shows we've got. Get in. Swaggering Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Forward the Hamlet. I'm Hugo Greenhouch. And I'm Ben Sibley. Day 13 of Daniel Ruiz Tyson's Advent Calendar 24 daily podcast to take you right up to Christmas Hello and welcome to Basement Tapes Radio, episode 14 with myself and Sam. Hello. Welcome to Process, my name's Stephen Walsh. Hello and welcome to Left Hill Shapes. My name's Joe Greenwood. Hope you're all doing well this week. Hi, welcome to Wikipedia. I'm Mickey Boyd. We're going to take you on a journey across randomness. Open iTunes, search for Holdfast Network and you'll find all those shows We've got 162 episodes online at southlandhawker.com. No new ones in 2015 anymore. But dig into the archive. We've had a wonderful time recording the show. Discovered so many different things that just had no idea about. I'm looking forward to getting over to the other side of the river now and then. I feel like I've just neglected central, east, west and north London completely. But, you know, we've both got uh, other things that we need to do at the moment, you know, distractions, things we need to concentrate on, mostly writing. Got a book coming out, Stephen, yeah. Stay in touch with us, though, at SLHC on Twitter, facebook.com slash Um It's always such a thrill when people say they enjoy the show. Make sure you stick a quid on the Brixton bonus, brixtonpound.org, for more details. Bye. See you later. Mm-hmm.